Welcome once again to Cinemaholics Major Motion Podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online on Halloween. That's right, because we are recording this, of course, on All Hallows 31, right? Because All Hallows Eve is the 30th, so I almost messed that up, right? Do I have that right? It's Halloween. It's Halloween. Welcome to Halloween. Welcome this to is Halloween. Halloween. This is Halloween. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do something. I'm Will, by the way. You didn't introduce me. Uh, I'm uh, about to, but you jumped in. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> you did a cannonball while I'm just still, you know, testing the waters. No, go ahead. You already, you already took, oh, took okay. the reins. Let's oh, see where the shit goes. All right. Uh, I'm a, a writer for Collider, and I'm the co-host of Cinemaholics. I'm Will Ashton. Hey. How you doing? Wait, wait, where are you from? You didn't say where you're oh, from. I'm, from I'm, Pittsburgh. Lost. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm just uh, so excited about how. What were you going to say, though? Yeah, it's Halloween. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say I wanted to talk about some spooky stuff this weekend. Well, I mean, we are. We're talking about Decision Ali. How spooky does it get from there? From it's, San Francisco, I'm John Negroni, yeah. film editor for the young folks. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I well, it is Halloween. I guess by the time this episode come out, it comes out, it will probably be uh, after Halloween. But, you know, it's it's Halloween weekend. I thought, hey, yeah. maybe we could watch Wendell and Wild. Maybe we could watch, uh, I think, Pray for the Devil came out this weekend. Maybe we heard could, it's terrible. We could watch Terrifier 2, something horror related. And you're like, no, 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 no. Why don't we watch Till? I'm like, well, that's scary for different reasons. <laughs> that's but not, not the first thing. I said tar. I was like, tar would make sense because right. it's been out, but it just hasn't hit your area yet, apparently. It just came this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's in kind of limited release around me. Same with Till. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd be thankful. I did, I mean, I, I, I was, there was The Good Nurse, which hit Netflix, and I saw that. I thought it was okay, um, but I didn't think that would be like the most fun discussion honestly i really don't know uh, what that movie is i know eddie redmayne's in it i believe eddie jessica, redmayne and, uh, Chast- jessica chastain yeah, yeah. it's based on a true story or something it's just kind of like you know it's kind of like a tv movie sort of thing uh, it's very tv movie but like in a little okay way like it's something bad it was one of those movies where i text my mom after and i was like hey did you see the good nurse because i knew she would like it and she's like yes i loved it and i was like okay so i know I know who this audience is. That's very Wendell and Wild. I do want to see. It's good. I watched it yesterday. It's a good film. Yeah, yeah. Henry um, Salick's first film, and uh, is that twelve years? Two thousand nine. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's fourteen years. Animated, right? So this could yeah. be like an animated uh, Oscar win uh, or nomination. Potentially, yeah. Um, it's a monkey paw turning red win productions. But, you know. uh, it could, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I think turning red is the shoe in. I was gonna say, is that point? the front runner at this point? It's got to be. I mean, it's Pixar. It's an original. It's it was successful. It's thought provoking. Critics love but, it. Yeah, I don't. Um, people love the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio so far. It premiered at the I think London Film Festival, and it's getting some of the best reviews of his career. I guess that's the only real competition then, huh? Because we don't have a lot of like Disney animated. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about Oscar mm. stuff later. I mean, uh, <laughs> in I don't the season. know. I mean, because it, it seems like Netflix definitely has a lot of animated stuff, which could be fascinating if like Netflix sure. beats. Disney, but that's like a discussion for Oscar talk. Right, right. Uh, yeah, there are a few others that might sneak in there, like bad guys and all that. But yeah, there's just not like a, there's not a Mitchell's versus the machines or a Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse this year. That's really shaking it up, shaking up the race at this point that yeah. I'm aware of at least. What's up but, with uh, um, I, the bad guys is still playing in theaters near me. What's up with that? Well, it's getting its Oscar push. I got some uh, bad guys like, uh, you know, gift box mail stuff for award season. So it's that time of year. But uh, the movie that I want to talk about the most, even more than Tar, is The Banshees of Inisherin. And I'm just waiting patiently every week of like, when am I going to get that text message from Will saying he is seated and his popcorn is in his hands for Banshees of Inisherin? That's all I care about. Is that how you pronounce uh, it? Inisherin? Yeah. I've been calling Inisherin or something. I, I, I don't actually know. I believe so. I mean, that's what I remember. But. Uh, lots of lots of movies coming out these days. Not a lot of like big movies. There's Black Adam last week, but wasn't the biggest box office earner. Um, did okay, but there have been you know some some splashy releases. But it, it is award season at this point. Like we're like kind of full swing in it. We're getting all kinds of like limited releases. We're trying to figure out what to cover. There are some movies that we're like, oh, you know, maybe this will be a big thing, like My Policeman. But then. You know, that, that kind of hit with a thud. And then Causeway, the new Jennifer Lawrence, I was kind of 
I, I wasn't sure if that was going to be kind of big and splashy, but now I'm being told like, no, 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 this is, this isn't a, this is a big player. Um, it's Causeway movie. Um, I, I missed my screening, uh, which is unfortunate, but I mean, we'll be catching lots of stuff. We got like after sun, mm-hmm. uh, we both want to check out soon. I, uh, I think we're both going to be seeing Armageddon time this week. There's, there's lots to get to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I am really excited to see tar. It's not a matter of, uh, I, it was just, I didn't have the chance to see it this weekend. The timings that they, the showings wouldn't match, uh, mm-hmm. what our availabilities would be, but I did get to see triangle of sadness. Surprisingly, I was able to <laughs> see that. Uh, I, oh, yeah. you're not too familiar with it though. Surprisingly, I think I'm familiar with it. I like, I've seen some of the advertising, not the trailer, but okay. I've seen that poster where they're like the, they're on like the beach chairs or something. Uh, I'm not aware that yacht. much of what it's about. Well, it won the Palm de Or at this year's Con Film Festival, your absolute favorite film festival, which you follow intently and love. Uh, I'm joking for the listeners because John seems to think that it's kind of uh, snobby over at the Con Film Festival. Can's just not my favorite. I, I and I've never been, but you know, I I'll, I don't know. I, I this movie we're talking about today today decision to leave that was it a canon yeah, that was uh that he won a uh, part 10 book one best director, director didn't he? Best director. yeah that's correct yeah that is correct and i saw so a trailer I keep up with some of it yeah <laughs> i saw a trailer for broker which i believe won best actor at that festival uh if i'm not mistaken another neon release that comes out sometime this year this year <laughs> uh we'll yeah. see we'll see I'm not, i don't know actually for sure but uh, no, I, I'm very excited for you to watch Tar because it's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Probably will be my and, favorite. Yeah, I'm I didn't assuming. need to rhyme that. Mm. Uh, I think um, I, I don't know exactly what we'll be talking about next week because I have so many release dates in my head at the moment. Um, I know that I'm watching Wakanda forever next week, but oh. it it's going to be the week after, I think, is when it actually comes. I don't remember, but uh, we'll, we'll probably do a, a couple more like uh, smaller films next week, maybe. Uh, maybe tar is next week i i could only hope banshees of any sharing in a tar double feature review that would just be my dream well it would be a triple but, right if we did that with armageddon time yeah if we did armageddon time too there you go so you know i don't want to make any promises you know you know how it is like things can change um i actually do have uh, a wedding this weekend will so you know i gotta watch all my movies this week like i can't i can't put them off until saturday i won't be around there you go yeah well i mean yeah I, I imagine I'll probably get around to seeing either Banshees or Tar on Sunday. Maybe both. I don't know. Oh, you know what else just came out on Netflix? I can't believe, I still haven't seen it, but uh, I, I had a screener for it and everything, and I just never got to it. All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I totally forgot about that one. So Heard the so- movies are just flying at us. Yeah, no, you're like, I, yeah. That's what I mean. It's like there's no like uh, big moment happening. There's not like a movie that everybody's one singular movie everybody's talking about. I don't know, man. Weird to me. I feel like my timeline is definitely as the uh, some of the Gen Z crowd has been saying tar pilled. Uh, I've been seeing a lot. Yeah, of see, I, I'm not seeing tar. anything about tar. I'm seeing everything. Wow. Everything I'm seeing is cabinet of curiosities. That's I haven't really thing. seen much of anything about that. I am kind of curious about it. Obviously, it's Guillermo del Toro, but uh, yeah, he's in a year. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Uh, I haven't really heard that one shaking up my timelines much. That's unfortunate uh, because it seems really cool to me. It, it seems cooler to me than um, the typical am, thing I see on the Twitter. I'm sure it's cool. I just saying it. I'm just not. It's not uh, moving the needle much in, in, around the folks sure. I follow. They're too busy talking about tar. I mean, people you follow, I'll never understand them. That's okay. Um, there's also the new Weird Al movie, which uh, that's going to be uh, coming yeah. out pretty soon, right? If not next week, the week after, I believe, right? I can't keep up. You know, there's too much stuff, too much stuff. But uh, we'll try to see what we can. In the meantime, you know, it, it is spooky season, which means we need, to, we need to talk about something more horrifying than anything else. And that's Will and I arguing about something that doesn't have to do with movies. That is scary. Like, that keeps me up at night. And this is the third installment, you guessed it, of the Pizza Wars. Pizza Wars Part 3. Um, World War Pizza War. Or World Pizza War. There it is. Uh, three. And we asked you listeners last week because will and i've been arguing about domino's and pizza hut i i think domino's is better will doesn't just think that pizza hut's better he thinks that domino's is like bottom of every you know list that should exist and uh, I, I, I like domino's and then pizza hut i'm just you know i, I like don't both. know if, i don't know if i put it bottom of every list i mean i, I okay. pizza is still pizza but i mean i just find it baffling that you think that pizza hut is significantly worse than domino's well you know what 
we we've said our piece, our slice on it, haven't we? Last week, we asked the listeners, this is your chance to shine. Tell us your Pete's taste. So we asked you to leave voicemails on the Swell app, which is where our account can collect your audio. And so we could play it on the show. And sure enough, we got some voicemails and, you know, we edited them a bit yeah, to try to keep it, you know, because because people sent long stuff like uh, four or five minute voicemails <laughs> uh, because they had they had stories to tell. Uh, so we'll do our best to distill down what people said. But here are the voicemails we got. And well, you this is your first time hearing them. Now, I told you what these voicemails were about because I listened to them, but you didn't actually get to hear them from the listeners. So uh, and also, as we play these people didn't leave their names. Uh, please do that. We want to know your name. You don't have to give us like personal information beyond that. But uh, I would like to know like your name and where you're from and stuff. But people just like, they just jumped in. They're just like, here we go. Pizza war time. So, all right, well, you ready? All right, let's grab. You want to order some pizza while we do this? Okay. Anyway, uh, we might start. need to considering how long <laughs> these might go on, but we'll see. Yeah. Let's, let's just go for it. Okay. So uh, here's the first voicemail. I love pizza. I love, love, love pizza. Although you did not mention my favorite pizza chain, I'm still going to answer this question. Pizza Hut over Domino all day, every day. If I had to put them in order, it would be Little Caesar, Domino's, Pizza Hut, then the other one that I'm not going to mention because it wasn't brought up, but I love pizza. So I got to admit, when I first heard that, I, I thought she was saying that Little Caesars was her favorite. But no, she was going from the bottom of the list. Now she's here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we talked about that a little bit, didn't we, Will, about think, our yeah. favorite like regional chains? huh? We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it took me a moment, too, where I, I yeah, I I did have one friend who put Little Caesars at number one. And, it and was you're not very, friends anymore, right? No, I mean, we're friends, but it, it surprised me. <laughs> it's strayed. It's a little uh, bit like things have been a little weird between right. you two. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, to, just to reiterate, because I know we said it, but just in case people haven't heard, we're not saying, neither of us are saying Domino's or Pizza Hut are the best, like far and away. Like I, they're just like of the cheap, the chains. The I mean, core. I think that just kind of sums up how asinine this whole thing is, is that right. We don't even like, we're not even proud defenders of any of these pizza right. chains. We're just basically arguing almost in a, in a way the best, the worst uh, in some respects. Yeah, sure. I, I wouldn't say that. I, there are some, there are some pizza in like the Bay Area oh, that okay. is like horrifically bad. Yeah, you were telling like, me about that. Yeah, you're saying that some pizza places in the Bay Area, it's not, it's not a pizza haven, this, uh, this Bay embarrassing Area. Embarrassing stuff. The pro tip, if you're ever in the Bay Area, really maybe California at large, Okay. Your best bet for pizza, if you want something that's kind of like local, but you know, you don't want like a big chain thing is to get halal pizza because they know what they're doing. Like they, the, the pizza, like at a shawarma place is that's where it is. But uh, otherwise, if you try to go to like these places that are just sort of like um, pretending to be like New York slices, no, nah, no, nah, don't, don't do it. Uh, anyway, that's just my opinion. Pro tip. Here's the next voicemail. Yeah. If I had to rank the four national chains that you mentioned, I would put Domino's as a slight number one over Pizza Hut number two, and I would not rank either Little Caesars or Papa John's. I simply just do not care for either one of those pizzas. And in selecting Domino's number one, I do have to mention that they did go through a major recipe change in the 2010-ish timeframe, about 10 to 12 years ago. And I actually preferred Domino's before that change. I can't really explain why, but I did like uh, the pizza before uh, a little bit more than I do after. And I'm curious, uh, the people that also select Domino's, did you notice a difference uh, when they actually made that menu change for the better or worse? Now with Pizza Hut, I always like the idea of Pizza Hut more than actual consuming it. I find it to be very salty. Uh, and I actually looked it up and the, and the sodium content on uh, a pan pizza is absolutely uh, a little ridiculous. So it makes sense. But after eating Pizza Hut, uh, I like it. I like the taste of it. It just never agrees with me. It is salty. I always feel bloated after that. And my gut just seems to be in a, in a bomb situation uh, after that. It's just this gut bomb. Uh, and that's the main reason I would rank Domino's over Pizza Hut, and uh, but it's nothing. That gut bomb is nothing 
absolutely nothing compared to the bomb that I get when I eat Papa John's. Yeah, this this listener, you know, stealing my heart over here. Okay. Couldn't agree more with all that. All right. Well, I do appreciate that they went pretty in depth. Like they they weren't just you know throwing cautions of wind and just saying blasphemous things. They're like, well, they have my you know my personal beliefs, and this is why X Y Z. I can respect that. Well, well argued. Well, you know, and then certainly like you know spoken like somebody went to culinary school. Apparently, uh, right. yeah. But no, I yeah. It's just uh, that's just like right where I'm at. It's like something about that crust. Actually, this next one. So we have one for Domino's, one for Pizza Hut. This next one uh, is we're going to get even more sort of commentary on the differences. Here we go. I have to go Domino's on this one. Uh, I think that that menu change way back when did them a lot of favors. Um, I have been told lately that Papa John's is actually kind of having a, I don't know if we want to call it like a renaissance of some kind, but they're definitely better than they used to be. And then Pizza Hut, I don't know. There's something about the crust. It's like kind of fried, isn't it? Um, I'd be curious to know like what the actual difference is between you know, that crust and the, the crust of their major competitor, Domino's. But it certainly feels like it's fried. Um, I don't know. Just a little too greasy. Every time I've had uh, Pizza Hut in like the last 10, 15 years, I remember thinking to myself, this feels like something made in a lab. And I don't really have that reaction when I have Domino's. Uh, though, although if I'm being honest, uh, there's plenty of local pizza places near me that I prefer over all of those options. All right. Well, what do you think? Uh, Pizza Hut crust. Is it fried? I kind of get what he's saying there, but it's like crispy. And that's my issue is that it's too greasy for me, but I get why other people like it. I don't really get the ad. I'm sorry. I don't get this one because I feel like every time I've had Pizza Hut crust, it's very chewy. It's like very soft. That's Mm. what I like about it. It's like also pretty thick. And I feel like the the crust they get at Domino's is very thin. It's like not, I, I had to like kind of like chew into it, and, and I think really that's yeah. completely opposite. For me, it's like crispy on the outside and and chewy on the inside, which is just right. Which Pizza Hut's know. not, you know. I'll pizza to me is to only crunchy. Get Domino's again because it's been eh, at least a few months since I've had it, and I'm not going to say I'm like a, an in depth expert on Domino's, but uh, I will say that just from my experience, there's been very few times where I've walked away from Domino's feeling content or satisfied with my pizza experience. Maybe that will that will change after all these wars. Maybe this will be a moment <laughs> of truth between us, but um, the, the chains are listening to us now and adjusting their recipes as we speak. I hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have one last and I, I I'll be honest. We got four voicemails, two for Domino's, two for pizza hut, like spoiler alert there. Now this last one, you know, in fitting fashion, it's tied, but in, this last one is very long, and he literally starts it. I'm only playing part of it. He starts it by saying this is going to require a story, and he tells this very long and kind of honestly gross story uh. about how he got food poisoning from Domino's. I'm not going to play all of it because genuinely, like, he does the sound effects too, and I was like, oh, I, don't I want, want to hear this. To get I sick. want to hear these sound effects. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> Sorry, I need no. it. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll hear the last part of the voicemail, which is the. The, the summation of the story. But in essence, he had a Domino's experience where he ate it, he had some soda with it, it was really good, but then he got really, really sick. So he liked it, but now, you know, the food poisoning has soured, you know, all mention of Domino's. Here, here's the voicemail. Ever, ever, ever again will I eat Domino's. I, I can't, uh, no, I was so scarred. I, by the time I got done throwing up, I got, I finally... They had a call in a replacement. I got sent home. I looked, I looked like a ghost. I literally thought I was going to die. It was the worst. I mean, I, that's the only time I've ever experienced food poisoning. One time in my entire life. And it was because of Domino. So the fact that you're even asking this question <laughs> proves that you're evil because I don't ever want to talk about this again. I've, I've, I've gone to counseling for years now trying to get over it, but I can't. I can't. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole as well. You get the idea. Domino's is bad. It's evil. Don't eat it. Run for your lives. Okay, because, well, that's what happened to me. So Pizza Hut, every day, anytime, but never Domino's again. All right. Well, thank you, everybody who left a voicemail that that listener in particular for just bearing your soul I, to us like that. Yeah, no, I think he he was on the, the money there. I think he 
calling you evil and uh, talking yeah, about exactly the horrors of dominoes. For. Yeah, that, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save the best for last, right? Uh, I knew we had to end it on that note. So, uh, I, th- I think this will be the last we talk about pizza for a bit. I think this has hopefully settled the score. Well, even if um, we get more voicemails, you're not going to play them. The, you know, that's the thing. If people want to leave, if, if you're hearing these voicemails and you're like, you know what, I, I got to get in on this. You know, give me a piece of that pie. Uh, think- check us out. We have an account on the Swell app. That's where you can find our latest question, which is Domino's or pizza, and so you can leave your voicemail there. I think it would be uh, so funny if we like tied it into reviews like they like offer like, yeah, hey, you know, like very thoughtful, articulate uh, response on tar. And it's like, OK. And then when it comes to Domino's and Pizza Hut, I have to say, <laughs> well, no, no, it's sort of like when we're talking about decision and leaves, like, you know, if he really wanted to impress her, forget premium sushi. He should have gotten her you know, <laughs> <laughs> personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah with extra toppings obviously that's that's when you know the romance is sizzling uh reminds me of the k-drama that john oliver did uh a few jokes on once about subway i don't know if you ever saw that episode of last week tonight i did not uh it's a good one it's a good one anyway i think that'll do it for uh (laughs) long opening for the show but let's get into our feature review here let's talk about decision to leave the 11th feature film from director and writer Park Chan-wook, the South Korean filmmaker whose previous film, The Handmaiden, was a personal favorite of mine back in 2016. But uh, yeah. he's also, uh, yeah, you, you're a fan too? I was, yeah. I, I was trying to remember if we had talked about it. I know it was before we started the podcast, but I couldn't remember if we had talked about it on Now Conspiring or if we even had a conversation about it off the air. I vaguely remember talking about it with you during award season. So in like the lead up to Cinemaholics, when we first started the show, I think we were talking about like, you know, movies that we wish were getting more attention. And I, I know for sure Handmaiden was one of mine. Yeah. And, uh, good movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, very good movie. It's so you know, fascinating and, to me that this is coming uh, after that one in terms of right. Like, in terms yeah. of his films. Yeah. Uh, you know, because right. uh, so so. Park Chan-wook, we should say, he's well-known for the Vengeance trilogy, uh, probably most notably Old Boy. That's one of his all-timers. Uh, also Stoker, a lot of people, you know, inter- a lot of English, uh, like American Western people's introduction to him was either through Old Boy or through Stoker, most likely, because uh, that's an English language film. And then also a British TV series that came out after The Handmaiden called The Little Drummer Girl. This was back in 2018. Now, I haven't seen this. It was like oh, a yeah. limited series. Forgot about but, that. Uh, um, yeah. Did you see Thirst? I haven't seen Thirst. Thirst no, is pretty it good? good. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, I, every movie I've seen from him, I've really enjoyed. So I, you know, I, I'm certainly a fan. Um, yeah, I'm a fan uh, of South I, Korean filmmaking in general. Oh well, sure. I mean, but uh, yeah, I feel like the only one that didn't uh, quite match my expectations was maybe Stoker, which I liked, but I feel like it didn't it didn't reach the same heights for me personally. Sure, I feel I, like I, I liked it too. It, yeah. yeah, it did feel a little bit like not quite uh, him in his like strongest mode. Right. To me. I think that was more of a script thing. I, I don't know. I just didn't quite, it didn't hit the same buttons for me. I feel like that some of his other better films have, but I know a lot of people love that movie and I'm, I do like it. I enjoyed it, but uh, yeah. I think that's the one that's probably didn't sit with me the best, but I'm curious to rewatch it at some point. Yeah. I'm curious to rewatch the vengeance trilogy. I've only seen those movies once and uh, it's one of my favorite trilogies and I would, you know, I'd love to revisit it because uh, that was my introduction to him as a filmmaker and certainly uh he i I think that's one of the he's one of the quintessential like modern filmmakers i think if you are becoming like a cinemaholic a cinephile somebody who you know sort of discovering you know maybe you've gone through the classics a bit you've gotten to know some of the the og filmmakers and you want to see what's what's the cutting edge right now like who are some of the filmmakers who are making the best of the best at this current moment i think that that trilogy back in the 2000s is a a wonderful sort of gateway into uh, eastern cinema uh, in general in my opinion but yeah that said it has been six years you know he's been gone for six years in terms of feature filmmaking and i think it's cool because we have seen a lot of exciting cinema come out of South Korea's film industry since then, uh, you know, Burning one, being one of my personal favorites from Lee Chang Dong, but also most notably Bong Joon Ho's Parasite, which won Best Picture just two years ago. So, Decision to Leave is uh, coming at an interesting time. It arrived at the Cannes Film Festival just this past summer. It had a lot of buzz, uh, high expectations from lots of people in the film loving world, myself absolutely included. 
And I got to say, though, I was I was personally I was taken aback when I heard that this was being acquired or distributed by MUBI. Uh, that's M-U-B-I, that, uh, a wonderful streaming service. I, I, I think MUBI is really great. But I, my understanding is, and maybe I'm totally off base here, I don't think that they've they have the best track record or they're considered like a major award season player. And I thought this movie would be like one of those, like it was going to be something that was really going to dominate some of the, you know, awards conversation. But after this hit can, and, you know, it, I think that it's been talked about and people are enjoying mm-hmm. it and they're, you know, it, it people are liking it, but sure. I, I got the sense that this is going to get like a quieter release than it probably deserves considering, uh, you know, the filmmaker. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. Because I, I don't think know it if it's is, true either. That's my. That's just the vibe that I'm getting. I don't know if it's I was. Sure. I mean, I'll agree in the sense that I was con- a little concerned when they picked up, not because I don't trust them, but because I was like, is this going to be, you know, a primarily streaming release in the same way that like Apple movies don't really get wide theatrical releases and they just kind of go on to their service shortly after they get like a sure. limited run or even most recently with Netflix. I feel like like I, a lot of the Netflix movies of late have not been getting a theatrical rollout. There's going to be exceptions, of course, like Glass Onion's going to get a week in theaters and stuff. But like Wendell and Wild, as I mentioned earlier, that didn't really play in theaters near me. Blonde, I wanted to see in theaters that didn't play near me. Uh, so I was worried about that with Decision to Leave and with Mubi taking over. But it seems like they're giving it, I mean, at least around me, a pretty sizable theatrical release. And it seems like they are pushing it as far as like yeah. their big award contenders. So I don't know... I mean, they might drop the ball. They may, uh, they may not be able to get it uh, the recognition it deserves. But it's too early to say for sure. Yeah, you're exactly right that it's too early, and you know it's playing at a few theaters in the Bay Area, not a ton, which uh, is a little worrying to me, but not extremely. I mean, I think that this has the potential to be another coda. You know, which would be really great, even if it doesn't go all the way, (laughs) you know, and I'm not saying that this is my favorite movie of the year or anything or that I think this should be best picture, but we'll certainly discuss the movie itself in a moment. But I do think that this could be like a a coda, you know, moment for movie to sort of like break into the game, as it were. I would say it could be a big opportunity for them. Yeah, I would say it's better than coda (laughs) personally, but uh i like coda fine it's 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 one of those things where it it is definitely a film that got soured by winning best picture no you're totally yeah Yeah. this is this is a different level this is this is like you know this this is it's interesting because coda is that kind of like a award season movie in the vein of like four quadrant oscar bait kind of thing this is definitely like something different this this is definitely a cinephile movie um which i'm sure a lot of people listening will be like oh does that mean it's boring it's like no no um, but uh, certainly it is a more challenging film in a lot of respects. But, you know, that said, I think I think this is one of those movies that the critical groups are going to swoon over, you know, like it's going to probably get a lot of nom- nominations with, you know, CCA and stuff like that. But uh, I-, I think that's good because, like, I, I really like the Criterion channel and I-, I-, I want movie to be successful because if something happened to Criterion channel, we'd have movie. You know, there aren't a lot of like high profile streaming services dedicated to showcasing like, you know, a broader term for independent cinema, I guess would be like film festival films. You know what I mean? So I I hope that uh, movie continues to grow and thrive because uh, I think it's a very important streaming service. Uh, Onto the film itself. (laughs) Decision to Leave is a neo-noir romantic mystery thriller. And it stars Park Hyil as a hard-boiled police detective with insomnia who develops an unsettling attraction to the prime suspects in a murder investigation, a woman named Soray, played by Tong Wei. She is the widow to a man who has this mysterious death that the detective is quite suspicious of. And this is definitely uh, <laughs> one of those movies where... You know, if you watch The Handmaiden before this, you might go into it expecting another sort of like, oh, okay, so is this going to be another bit like highly erotic sort of thriller, you know, sort of having a lot of black humor in terms of how it's playing with uh, gender and queerness and things like that. This is very different from Handmaiden. It's it's coded very differently. It's, it's much more akin to like classic noir. It's, you know, it has a lot of double indemnity in it. It, it has, oh, you, know, absolutely, yeah. it, you know, this is like Raymond Chandler, you know, it, it feels in, in a similar way to how the handmaiden was, you know, adapting from fingersmith. This feels like it's adapting from big chill, Maltese Falcon and, and, and all of those. Sure. Uh, but for the good, because I think that well, Chen Wook's, you know, yeah. styles of filmmaker translates super well mm-hmm. <laughs> to those kinds of movies. So yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what did well, you think of decision to leave? Well, I mean, I was going to say to that, like I know some reviews when I was uh, following the coverage at the con film festival, they were, saying like it's Hitchcockian 
And I was kind of nervous because like, it's like one of those terms like Spielbergian where it's just like, yeah, like it's, he's like one of the most famous filmmakers ever to do this. So it's like, is that kind of like a broad blanketed statement or is that like a way to kind of Westernize this film? Uh, And I will say, I don't, I mean, I do think, I think that the sentiment behind it is somewhat true in the sense, like there is a lot of vertigo to this film. Like it, it is kind of playing to like what you said, like the sort of like, code era noir like femme fatale sort of film but it's doing it in a very contemporary modern way like the use of technology especially the use of phones and digital communication is deeply embedded into the film but it's fascinating for me to see how park chan wook is trying to kind of take that very contemporary style and kind of play against what we expect from him in terms of violence and sexuality and make a film that's in a weird way, almost sort of like chast about the the romanticism. Like there's something very sort of like it's not like it's like wholesome because it is a story about murder. There is a decent bit. I was going to say it's like you see pretty grisly stuff. It's just that right. you don't see the eroticism. You don't see like right. uh, explicit like there's no nudity, you know, in this yeah. movie, for example. Right. And I think to, to me, that's fascinating for him. Like it, it suggests a more kind of thoughtful, mature kind of film. Not that his other films weren't thoughtful and mature in their own ways, of course, but it shows that he's trying to apply a certain type of restraint that I feel like we haven't particularly seen from him. I mean, there are exceptions in the sense that like I haven't seen I'm a cyborg, but that's okay. But I know that was his attempt after like lady vengeance, after that vengeance trilogy to kind of do something a little bit daffier, a little bit, you know, kind of more lighthearted. I think that is just a direct rom-com and it feels like, you know, coming off of Stoker and the handmaiden and, you know, uh, little drummer girl, which, you know, I think it was also pretty, uh, in line with some of his earlier films from what I had seen. I haven't watched that show of course, but, um, yeah, it just sounds like he's kind of trying to do something in that vein where it's like a little bit more restrained, thoughtfully kind of tackling this kind of old fashioned story, but giving it a modern, very, uh, today timely type of, uh, storytelling style, you know, very quick editing, you know, very much trying to find a cinematic way to portray this sort of text-based relationship uh, in a way that I found very engaging and, and entertaining. But also, you know, like I said, it is kind of challenging in some respects. Uh, it is, I, I don't want to use this word because it sounds negative, but it does sound like it's intentionally sort of like convoluted at times, like in the way that's kind of like trying to expand upon the story and kind of challenge the the expectations in a way that is meant to kind of mirror the insomnia mindset of the main character and kind of follow with him like how things are really connecting together and how things aren't always as they seem and i don't know i just find it to be a really fascinating uh as i said engaging film i i don't know if i'd put it on par with some of his earlier films but i certainly think this is another just very well crafted uh noir thriller story from you know a top-notch director yeah i think this is definitely one of those movies where i have to see it again because i was a little bit overloaded by all the symbolic storytelling he's trying to do i think that this is one of those movies where i like the storytelling a lot more than the story the story i think is compelling to an extent but it's certainly it like we said it's it's borrowing so much from this sort of really well-trodden you know anti-hero or femme fatale archetype that's been done so much and i think the fact that you know there isn't a lot of explicit sexuality in this does speak to that that's the character you know i think the restraint you're talking about is the restraint that this character has and i think that it is consistent within the framework of the actual story that said as much as i respect the movie and that sense for doing something a bit different and not really having a man who is just completely beholden to his passions who's doing because a lot of these movies a lot of these romantic thrillers they do have very transparent you know formulas where you can really see okay this is going to be the part of the movie where this happens and he's going to make this mistake and then this person's going to do this betrayal and i think he does avoid a lot of that because he crafts the character so well but i think that there's just something there's something here in the writing that is a bit lacking compared to the direction. The direction and the editing are so top-notch in this that it's actually visibly lopsided in terms of how I think the writing isn't always quite there. I mentioned that Handmaiden has a lot of really great black humor. I think a lot of people will watch this and find it like funny at times, and, and I thought it was funny too, but I think that there is just a strange sort of a 
off-putting balance of all of these sort of uh, point touch points that uh, might be a plus for some people who might kind of like that sort of like everything feels a little off kilter in this movie. It does kind of speak to the atmosphere of it. And uh, for me, I kind of tuned out of the story to an, at a certain point. Cause I feel like I, I felt like we got it. You know, I, I was like, we, there's not much else you can do the, the rising action isn't really matching how great the filmmaking is here. And I, to what you were saying, I think that the way that insomnia is portrayed here in particular is so compelling to me. And I also think that the the chemistry between the leads and how that just constantly keeps us guessing, constantly keeps us wondering about the motivations of certain characters. There's a lot done here with language barriers because the, um, the widow is Chinese, a Chinese immigrant. And so her Korean isn't super good. And she uses technology to sort of translate Korean so she can keep up. And there are certain words, you know, that get lost in translation. There's a lot of really great stuff there. Again, it's the direction. It's it's a lot of like how the script is translated that I think is good. Less so the script itself, if that makes sense. And that said, I think that for a movie with this much technology, this much smartphone use and texting, it feels really timeless. Uh, we haven't talked about Tar together yet, but that was one of my main, you know, good things about Tar. Like my main positives about that movie is that the the way that it's it's having a conversation about technology feels very timeless in, in a way that it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, when we're in the current age. So it's like, it's hard to do that, honestly, uh, and for things to still feel authentic, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I just think the idea to me of doing this sort of type, this character type of mystery in a modern lens is just kind of fascinating in that, like, we are in this weird way things been called kind of like post-truth era where like we have through the access to the internet, seemingly uh, direct access to all sorts of information. But now we're kind of in this area where it's like, well, we don't know who we can trust, who we can really directly, you know, connect with. And I feel like this movie really taps into that in a really sort of thoughtful and engaging way. But yeah, it I taps mean, into the anxiety of that. Yeah, anxiety, right? exactly. Yeah. But I mean, above all that, I mean, I, I do think, yeah, like you said, formally, it's more about what Park Chan-wook is doing as a director. I, I When I think about what I like about this movie, I'm really like talking about the technical stuff. I'm talking about like what he's able to achieve with the camera work, what he's able to achieve uh, with pacing, with the with the direction and with the editing. I'm not as much thinking about like the story. I even went so far as to say it was kind of convoluted. But uh, I think beyond that, what really connects to me is just that central lead female performance from believe her name is tang Wai. uh who, yeah i pronounce it tong way i'm not sure if that's right but uh yeah that's my guess yeah i thought she i mean her performance in this is just incredible i mean just the nuance that she's able to capture this sense of like you said it is that femme fatale personality where you can't get a full read on her but there is something that's very yeah. present very vulnerable about her someone that you know she, he she's not really like lying but there's something that she's like trying like she's obviously like the language barrier you're mentioning there is stuff that she's directly or indirectly kind of withholding, but there is a lot here emotionally that she feels like she's kind of learning over time, but there is that ambiguity in the sense that she knows all this information, but also doesn't really know it. I just think that's such a complex performance to give. And I think yeah. she does it so richly and beautifully and with a great deal, like I said, of nuance. I, I think to me, even when I wasn't always engaged or connected to the story, because we didn't really mention without giving too much away that there's kind of like a time lapse that happens. And I feel like it's a little bumpy as far as like kind of getting to that point. You mean like a time jump? Sorry, yeah, a time jump. And I feel like there, there's like a moment where like she's kind of absent from the story that maybe I was like the least connected with because like I feel like her character speak to that, though. OK, because yeah, sure. there that that speaks to like your point earlier about mm. the the energy of this character yes. and like how how, you know, sent what is the word? Santalizing? Stantalizing? There's a word for it. Um, Stimulating? Scintillating? Stimulating? Something. Sensual? Um, well, I don't know. No, what it, it, it's a little bit more. Well, you know, it, it directly ties to a line where she's discussing something with him and not to give away the full text of the scene. Right. She sort of, you know, she sort of suggests to him that, you know, when he saw her, you know, despite his stoic nature, that's when he felt alive again. And that, that was a moment where I connected so much with 
the film in that sense where I was like, I felt alive again when these two characters were interacting after so much time apart. So I think that that there, there is this sort of like knowingness that the director has of like, you know, that when like the characters are together on screen, you're really going to pay close attention because yeah, I, I genuinely, that's where the life of the film is. Whenever we're with other characters and like the bumbling sidekicks, you know, like this like junior detective that it's fun stuff, but it, it, it never for me was like fully driving the plot forward sure. in as meaningful a way. I do agree that like I think he's better when it comes to comedy in his films when they have a little bit more of a of an edge and that seemed to be kind of more slapsticky in a way that I don't know for me at least I didn't really find those scenes to be particularly funny I, I wasn't as connected to the comedy in this one as I think I've been with other Park Chan Wook films. It's definitely more dry like it's a drier com- drier humor than I think he's done um, um, somewhat. There's like a big chase scene that's a very kind of not broad, but it's like played out in a very kind of wacky sort of way. I wouldn't say that scene. You was could dry. do like the Benny Hill music to it, maybe. And then there's like a scene involving turtles without giving too much away. That's kind of also very sort of broad comedically in a sort of like very visual wacky way. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I fully agree, but I think there is a lot verbally, I guess what you're saying that might be a little bit lost for a Western audience as far as some of the, the subtler nuances of the comedy here. Yeah. My mileage will probably vary. Uh, in that sense. But yeah, I think that this is definitely, I don't think we can say enough about how a lot of people will probably watch this movie. And like I said before, feel a little bit like, what exactly am I supposed to get out of this? And I, I definitely, this is definitely one of the toughest endings to a movie I've seen this year where, you know, again, I keep comparing it to tar because that was the last like high level, you know, movie I saw, I guess, but, uh, or one of them. And I think like, Tar left me smiling. Tar left me sort of being like, that was tough, but I I really feel satisfied by the experience. In this, I felt way more like I do in real life, where I feel like everything is terrible. <laughs> you know, there there is a lot in this movie about depression. There's really challenging stuff here about uh, how that ties into how it manifests itself physically. You know, we've been talking a little bit, uh, you know, on Mad Men Men, our Mad Men podcast about the way that Betty Draper, that character, you know, because she can't, she can't process her depression through words. It it comes out physically through her hands, always fidgeting. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And uh, it's, it's, it's certainly powerful stuff to watch, but if there's one, if one chief criticism I have in terms of where the characters come in on this, I I could not connect really with what he was trying to do with, with the wife character, Um, the detective's wife, who uh, I'll have to look up her name, but I, I just think the writing for the character, not the performance, but the writing just really didn't stick out for me. Um, and, and I really think that she just, there was just something very vacuous about the character. It was a little bit too archetypal, but uh, did, you, did you have a similar th- or opposing thought to that? Oh, and it's uh, Lee Jong-Hyun. Yeah. Um, well, I did want to kind of talk about the ending a little bit, but first, what what were you asking about more directly before I, I jumped? The wife? Off? Yeah, the wife. Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought her character as far as like how she plays a role into his sexuality, because there's for a film like this, that's so directly sort of chast as far as like the relationship or the rom- romance of it. I did appreciate that there was something very sexual about their relationship in the sense that like it's the direct opposite of what's going on, where it's like he's obsessively sort of compelled by this woman and and like it, it kind of mirrors his draw for like what he loves about his job and sort of what what kind of drives him as a person and then at home like he gets like that sex but it's almost sort of empty like he's like even that one sex scene they have like he's just not really present with her it's a sort of very yeah physical. he's staring at you know a sort of like something on the television it's because he can only sort of process his pleasure through you know fiction and through like other things instead of like the here and now right you're you're right he's he's sort of like connecting his job to like what honestly arouses him turns him on it's all sort of mental in a way it's like this like kind of cat and chase thing cat (laughs) cat and mouse chase uh but yeah it's kind of like the thrill of the hunt in a weird way the fact that he can't really understand this other woman but yeah he also feels drawn to her feels like they're sort of paralleling each other in a weird way I, i just find that so fascinating and then also just like the idea of like kind of looking in on somebody is so integral to the the film like there's that one shot and i had to like look up how they even did it because i i really still don't even know but it's a one shot when they're uh in the investigation and it's like 
them and then the mirror shot of them like through the you know the stained glass mirror and she's like in focus i forget if it's like she's out of focus in the forefront but in focus in the mirror and he's out of focus in the mirror but in focus in the it's, it's magic forefront and it's just like I mean, like, that's just the work of an incredible filmmaker. I mean, and just the way yeah. that he's able, and, you know, there's this constant conversation about like film and digital and like what's better, what's worse. It's just, it's, they're all tools. And really, if you can use digital, fo- fo- digital photography to kind of do something like that and tell so much with just an image in a way, I just, yeah, I just think that stuff is amazing. Um, but yeah. The, the it, cinematographer, by the way, uh, to point out is uh, Kim Ji Young. Who yeah, has he's done a, a lot um, of Korean films. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a different cinematographer than his previous films. Uh, yeah. I forget what's that guy's name, but he uh, he's been doing a lot of Hollywood movies, like he did Uncharted this year, and he did it. He did um, uh, Kim Ji Young did. Yeah, he did Uncharted. I remember this because I was like, "What are you, What are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you not making the new uh, Park Chan Wook movie?" Um, I'll have to look that up. That doesn't sound right to me. Is that but, not uh, right? Or are you sure? I, let me double check. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now because uh, I, my my understanding is this: you're thinking of Chung. Oh yeah, you're you're thinking of Chung Hoon Chung. Yeah, who collaborates with Park Chan Wook. No, oh, I thought you were talking about the cinematographer for this movie, Kim Jeong. No, 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 no. I mean, Park Chan Wook's oh, normal. Okay, that's why. Cinematographer. Yes. Oh, okay, is, okay, okay. Um, he he didn't he wasn't able to do this movie because he's been doing a lot of Hollywood productions. Like he did. Uh, okay, okay. Zombieland Two. He did like Last Night in Soho. I think he was involved with. Um, obi-wan kenobi and he did uncharted this year and it's just like fascinating okay to yeah me. i i thought you were talking about the cinematographer for this movie i was like wait no he, no 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 different no, <laughs> no okay, but that's okay. his regular i think he's like shot most of park chan wook's movies yes um, and uh so he, he has a new cinematographer with him here who i think also does a terrific job with the camera and uh i, I don't know what people oh, might know him but he, he's done a lot of like korean films as well yeah, I mean, the so. cinematography in this is also very good. I'm just saying that, like, yeah, it, I was just kind of surprised that they didn't collaborate again. The, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just... Oh. I, I have a question for you, though. Sure. Because we talked a yeah. lot... Of, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I did want to talk about the ending at some point. That was what I was trying to, try to lead to but in vague sure. terms, but I want to answer your question first. Oh, no, I, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to sort of... I, I think people have been um, arguing about how romantic this movie is. And I I think that it is extremely romantic, extremely. And I know that like, cause I think some people look at romance as sort of like, is it romance? If you know, it's all longing. And I, I was curious what you thought about that, because for me, there's this whole mode of like how you feel shattered by a person. And I think that that to me is, it's sort of like, how could I compare it? It's sort of like how the suggestion of something, like what you imagine it and your expectation is much more fulfilling and understandable than actually seeing it just happen, right? Like, that's kind of what I, that's to me what makes it romantic. Um, But I don't think everybody will agree. I think some people will watch this and be disappointed by what doesn't happen instead of what does. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're looking at this like romantic in the sense of like it's erotic or like stimulating, I don't think it's quite the same type of romantic. But I agree with you. I I thought it to be a very sort of it's melancholic, but it is a very sort of romantic film. And I think that's certainly true of the ending, which there is. I think you're mentioning this and I I don't want to give away what happens, but there is a sort of ambiguity about it in a way that felt sort of purposeful in a way that uh, I feel like a lot of endings of late when they try to go for this sort of abstract ending that, that reflects the mindset of the characters. Uh, it, it feels cheap in a way that like, they're just going for ambiguity because they don't quite know how to end it. Like it's just more of like a, here's yeah. how we need to wrap this up. This feels very purposeful in its ambiguity. Like I think, I think no, Park Chan-wook knows what he wants to say with the ending, but it's left a little, left a little bit open for interpret interpretation with the audience. And it's so fascinating to me, uh, without spoiling this movie, to compare this to the ending of Triangle of Sadness, where that might very well be true with uh, Ruben Oslin's ending. But to me, that ending was a lot more uh, unsatisfying in its ambiguity in the sense that I felt like I walked away from that not really getting a conclusive ending, but more just kind of like a shoulder shrug of just like, yeah, that's that's kind of it. You can kind of make up what you want as far as like these images we uh, spewed together. It, but it didn't feel like satisfying and as enriched in a way that like this 
like they're so metaphoric the, the ending of this is so metaphoric and so visually stimulating and it leaves a lot of room for open discussion haunting, and stuff, haunting yeah <sighs> and yeah. i i love that that's the ambiguity of it is the lack of closure which represents the the mindset of the character in this sort of like his desire to search and i i think that is done tremendously and i think that adds that romanticism that you're talking about but yeah, I just, it just I, it, to me, it was refreshing to see an ending like this after other films of late that I've seen that have gone gone for something sort of ambiguous in the same way, but in a way that felt much less satisfying. Yeah, if there's one way, one um, thing that I could say this movie is about that it is about in a very uh, important way, or that it really nails, it's about the desperation of loneliness, um, and you know, loneliness makes people do wild and unsettling things. And I, I think that that's sort of the construction of this. I think that's what Chanwick's getting at when he, you know, forms such a taboo sort of dynamic between characters who really should have no business, you know, you know, being together in any sort of, you know, capacity like this, but, you know, proving out how sometimes, you know, you can't resist like that sort of attraction when you're in the state that I think both of these characters are in and how just damaging that is. And I like that he isn't glorifying it at all. He is really getting to the heart of like how this stuff happens in a psychological way that I thought was it definitely uh, audacious. You know, it, it's not a, an easy thing to do. And I think it's something that like we, a lot of media just sort of diminishes and downplay, downplays how toxic these sorts of dynamics can be. Yep. Uh, not this. So uh, right. that, that's the thing I probably appreciate the most about it, aside from how mm-hmm. incredibly well-crafted it is. Uh, yeah. My favorite editing in a movie this year, probably. Sure. Because I would just, I love how scenes go transition from each other, how you're able to know when you're going back in time or forward or time or neither just by like little cues, you know, I just never felt lost or confused, even though sometimes I felt like I probably should have been, if that makes sense. And well, so, yeah, I'm I, a big fan. I was gonna say it all kind of like bleeds together in certain scene by scenes in a way that like kind of me- it's supposed to make you feel a little disoriented, but not in the sense of like, yeah, you feel like you're like, like the story is like getting ahead of Park Chan-wook or something like that. Like it feels like it's deliberately sort of off the rails in a weird way in a way that i feel like properly communicates the headspace the character but doesn't feel like the story is getting like lost in the shuffle which is a very very hard thing to pull off both visually and storytelling wise and i think that's just a credit to park chan wook here yeah i like when movies are unafraid to demand your attention and to really you know demand a lot from you in general be like you really got to pay attention with this movie to really get the full get everything out of it and i don't think it's probably really hard to get everything out of this movie on the first watch is my sense and so i get i get the idea i get the vibe that this is one of the you know more rewarding movies to revisit if that's what you intend to do if you end up liking this probably as much as i did and i hope you did i i thought it was quite good so yeah um, yeah it was uh selected for best international um, mm-hmm. for south korea so yeah we could see a little bit more conversation about it in the coming future yeah um, the only thing I wanted to add is just that the sense of like, I feel like this movie, what I also find kind of fascinating is that it, it tackles like a new way of sort of like, I guess the word would be like voyeurism in a weird way. It's like this kind of like looking in, but like not like, I feel like a lot of American films when they do this, they kind of look at it more from like a, like, like peeping Tom scenario, which I just watched recently upon your recommendation. Like, like with that, it's something a little bit more kind of like perverted and kind of more like, uh, you know, like more kind of like erotic i guess and like this film it's a little bit more kind of just like trying to understand a person and using like voyeurism to like illicitly sort of look in in a sort of fascinating yeah. way and i just find that such a such an intriguing way to kind of tackle this noir kind of story and i think that's where people are comparing it to like hitchcock obviously like rear window and then like with like brian de palma and certain filmmakers uh, in america do similar things and i think that's i think that's where the comparisons are warranted but i think what park chan wook is doing uh, is a little bit more kind of complex and maybe those, some of those comparisons are letting on. I'm actually, I'm really glad you mentioned Peeping Tom and, and voyeurism in general, because I, I'm not confident enough. I'd have to see the movie again, but I did, I did sort of get the sense that he is saying something about watching other people in terms of like watching movies. And I think he's trying to be very specific about photography and just the way that we observe people and we think we know them. I think he's doing something interesting there that I think will, for me at least, require a little bit further contemplation. And I'm I'm very happy for that. I like when movies don't just hand me everything. I, I, you really got to work for it with this one. And I, I think though, if you do, 
uh, you get what you you get what you work for. That's right. that's for sure. I just so. uh, I want to make sure I mentioned that because I think we were alluding to it, but I didn't really get to say that more explicitly. So I just wanted to kind of get that before we wrapped up. Yeah, I guess on that note, then we can uh, play the Rotten Tomatoes game. And uh, yeah, this is this is definitely a movie where I just man, I'm, I the more the more I talk about it and think about it, the more I just want to see it again. So uh, I think it's going to be available on movie if it isn't already. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and, uh, and you're. And, uh, yeah. you're lucky cause you got a screener of it. I saw, I theaters. did get a screener yeah. and you know, you were saying like, you know, you, you thought it was a shame I didn't see it in theaters and I, well, I do, I'd, I'd like to, but it's, I'd have to, I'd have to go kind of far to go, to go see it in the theater. So, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully one day I'll be able to get I that mean, big screen experience if the opportunity arises. Yeah. Uh, I will plug that it's playing in the Pittsburgh area at the Harris theater, which is where I work. So I was fortunate enough to see it, uh, at the, my place of employment. <laughs> uh all right and, well i'll tell yeah. any any of our listeners here in the uh the bay area i know there are a bunch of you uh it's playing at the alamo draft house in uh san francisco at mission uh it's also playing at the kabuki eights and the aquarius theater if you're in palo alto and uh i know it's also playing in san jose a couple places in san jose but you know n- not my favorite theaters so i'm not gonna plug them <laughs> um for me if i i want to see this at the the alamo i mean i think that would for me be ideal so that is decision to leave. Let's play the uh, the Rotten Tomatoes game here. We have uh, 162 reviews counted, and uh, certainly certainly a lot of critics have uh, checked this out at this point. What do you think, Mister Will Ashton, is the Rotten Tomato score? Uh, I think it's high. I'm going to say 94. percent Spot on. 94 percent came out swinging. Decision oh, nice. to leave an impact. Okay. Uh, what about audience score? We have a hundred plus ratings. What do you think? Um, eighty-six percent. A little bit higher, but you're on the right. You're on the right track. Ninety percent. Okay, ninety. So, uh, just a little bit lower than the critic score, which I guess makes sense. Long movie, so you know, certainly a tougher one to yeah. uh, to make everybody happy. I was gonna say, uh, we yeah, don't have enough. Uh, yeah. it's hundred eight thirty-eight minutes, right? Two and a half hours, basically. Yeah, two. I had two hour eighteen. Yeah, on the timer. So yeah, with trailers, that's like two and a half hours. Yeah, with trailers, that's two and a half, uh, maybe more. So, all right, uh, we don't have a cinema score, so let's look at Letterboxd. This is a Letterboxd darling because it has 62,000 watches. That's more than Black Adam did last week, which is <laughs> kind of funny to me. I mean, well, it's been out longer, or people have had more opportunities to see it. But Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this has come out uh, in a few countries before it came out to the U.S., right? That's true. That's true. Uh, it's been kind of rolling out to it a lot of film festivals, not just Cannes. So uh, it's definitely getting a push. But uh, we have 62,000 watches. Will, what do you think the average rating is on Letterboxd right now? Um, 4.2. That's a little bit lower. 3.9. And, you know, I took a look and I, I, you know, I'm seeing some people say, honestly, it was a little flat for me. You know, some people just not totally connecting with it. But uh, other people I'm seeing really, really coming out for this movie, really enjoying it. Um, I'm kind of looking right now and uh, I don't, the only uh, friend of the show uh I, I see on my letterbox here saw it is uh kimber myers she gave it four and a half stars from kimber myers that is quite high so uh happy to see that good deal and uh that'll do it for our show uh sure. we still need to figure out what we're talking about next week besides yeah. pizza uh we'll see <laughs> yeah that'll um, come up some way or another uh i'm sure I, i'm assuming you don't want to talk about enola holmes too does that come out this week that comes out uh, on Netflix on November 4th. So, yeah, that okay. is this week. Yeah, I um, I probably uh, won't watch it because I'm still kind of bitter about Henry Cavill uh, moving on over to, you know, doing another Superman movie instead of another season of The Witcher. No, thanks. Come back. I mean, I don't know. I remember not really caring for Enola Holmes. I know Abby O'Chessy, she was on the show uh, when we reviewed the first one. She was a big fan. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe, maybe we were in the mic. I don't think you were crazy about it either, right? You were kind of so-so on that first one. I was pretty so so on it. Uh, books editor at the Young Folks, uh, Abby Petrie, even told me she was like, "Yeah, I listened to your review because we were talking about doing some coverage for it because it's a books thing and everything, books and movies." And she was just like, "Yeah, I heard I heard you Willem talk about it. You weren't the biggest fan." And I was like, "I'll have to re-listen to that." I do remember our Enola Holmes uh, sketch that we did at the beginning. That was a lot of fun. Oh uh, boy, Wilson. Oh, I forgot all. <laughs> That's about a good that one. one. I forgot about that one. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we'll play that on the show next week for people uh, who forgot or never got to catch it. 2020 was a weird year. We were, that was a weird we year. We were on it. Very, very weird year. Um, what else is coming up? 
coming out this week. Yeah. Uh, I think Causeway is supposed to be hitting some theaters. We, we've talked about most of this stuff. I wonder if but... uh, I might have a screener for that. Maybe I, I actually get Apple screener, so I might. Maybe have an access to that one. I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. Because I know that that's, that's Apple, but it's also, I think it's one of the Apple ones where they're doing a theatrical. Well, uh, because it's sure. it's hitting, it's supposed to hit limited, I think, but it might hit streaming too. I don't want to say that for sure, for sure. But I think it'll be on Apple TV this weekend. I don't know. I just, I, I thought I got like, uh, like a screener for like Tragedy Macbeth, which I think was also uh, an A24 Apple uh, collaboration. Okay. So I didn't know that until after I'd seen it in theaters, which I was planning to see that movie in theaters anyway. So not a big deal, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to, but are you planning to see Causeway? Yeah. Yeah. I I will for sure be seeing it, but I mean, I got it. I got to be straight up with you, Willash and hundred percent. I want you to watch tar. I want you to watch Banshees of Inishir and I forget everything else. Mm. Nothing else matters. Uh, Nothing else matters. (laughs) All right. Um, yeah, Um, I mean, those two are certainly the two, uh, probably most interested to see, to be honest. So yeah, maybe I'll make it work. no shortage of choices for everybody in general. Everybody listening, if you are if you're ready for Oscar season, you're ready to start watching some new stuff. There's plenty to choose from, especially on Netflix. Netflix is uh, definitely blitzing a lot of movies at the moment. So yeah, When Doing Wild, go watch it. It's a good film. Have fun. Yeah, I will uh, almost certainly be watching that one as soon as I can. So thank you though, everybody, for listening. We'll see you all on the next one from the Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.